Good evening. Welcome to worship here at Hope. We are glad that you're with us. If you are a guest with us, a special welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Hope that we uh, can be a blessing to you in our worship tonight. Uh, so we're on a new sermon series this month, and it's called Come to Me. It's based on those words that were just read by Pastor Sarah, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And as we were planning uh, this sermon series and thinking about its position, we, we in, were intentional about doing this uh, at the end of January and into February. Because we know, as people who live in this part of the world, that because the days have been so short and because life is hectic, that this is often a time where perhaps we feel the most exhausted. Perhaps we are weary and worn out. Uh, perhaps we're, we're struggling with uh, depression, seasonal affective disorder, uh, anxiety, anxious about the life uh, that, that we have and, and, and just wrestling in a lot of ways. And we also felt that, it, I think it's just kind of true, uh, that, that we, we live a very fast-paced life nowadays with a lot of struggles and a lot of stresses that seem outside of our control. And, and even though we have so many advances and we have so much, uh, this life that we live takes a burden on our souls. It takes a burden on our souls. And so we want to dive in for four weeks into what Jesus has to say about being a God of healing, being a God of hope, being a God of comfort, a God that is with us, and a God that cares about our very well-being, our mind, body, and soul, and invite you as a church, us together, in the midst of a world that wants to make us weary and worn out, to rest in God's love. So I hope that you can do that tonight. Like that's my prayer, is that as we leave worship, as we sing, as we pray, as we examine God's word today, that your soul would be refreshed. Anybody need that a little bit? I do, right? That your soul would be refreshed and you would know God's love and mercy and comfort in your life. Because here's the good news. We have a God of love and comfort and mercy that invites us to come to him. Come to him when we're weary, when we're tired, when we're burned, when we're worn out, burned out, beat up, broken by this world, to come to him and find rest in so I want to uh, start this sermon series uh, with Psalm 23. So we're going to read that gospel every week. We're going to read that gospel, but we're going to have a different text. And as we wrote this sermon series, we thought about as pastors, we, we put up what are our favorite texts of, of comfort, grace, and love. And, and of course, at the top of that list is, is Psalm 23. Um, Psalm 23 is one that's often read at, at times of great loss, at funerals. It's read over at, when people are in the hospital. Uh, it, it's a beautiful psalm of incredible comfort. And what I'm going to do tonight as I preach is, is I, I'm just going to walk through it verse by verse and reflect upon what that means for our lives. And I invite you to maybe experience this sermon a little differently than just up here just as an intellectual exercise, like, oh, that's interesting what Pastor Paul is saying. But to let God's word lead and, and experience it right here. Experience it 
with your whole self, with your soul, the very core of your being, and know that God is love. So this psalm was written by King David. Uh, King David was considered to be a man after God's own heart. But he also had some moments of great failure in his life, and he had some moments of certainly incredible stress, trial, pressure, being weary and burdened. And he writes this beautiful psalm, Psalm 23, that, that really hearkens to the beginning of his life. So the first thing he says is, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. So this is King David saying, the Lord is my shepherd. A couple things that are important is David got his beginning as a shepherd. As a young man, before he went to fight Goliath, if you remember that story, he was out in the sheep, out in the sheep, out in the field watching the sheep, right? He was out in the field watching the sheep. He wasn't even deemed important enough to be on the, on the line of battle. He had a lot of older brothers. Uh, they were there uh, it, to face Goliath. He was out watching the sheep. And shepherds in this society were considered to be kind of a lowly job. Shepherds were, you know, this was entry-level, manual labor sort of, hey, you know, you're not skilled enough to be a craftsman or, or manage the household or, or do all those things, so go watch the sheep. And, and they spent a lot of time outside, so you were in the elements, and you were dealing with these animals that sometimes are quite stubborn, Right? But David starts his psalm and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, God, is my shepherd. Why would he use such a lowly position to describe God? Well, he talks about God as our shepherd, as the one that is always watching over us, protects us, and provides for us. That God is the one that is always watching over us, is with us always, protects us, and provides us. So he says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lack nothing. Um, what this means is, is David saying, because God is watching over me, God watches over me, I trust that I'll be provided for. And I lack nothing. I shall not want. Uh, th this means... That, that God is our provider. I think one of the, the, the traps of our world, and one of the things that produces a lot of anxiety, it, it is, is we, we sometimes believe that there's not enough. And we get stuck in this, this rat race of fear and insecurity, believing that we have to somehow get more more for our family, more for our spouse, more for ourselves in order to be satisfied. You know, if, if only we could have that much more, that nicer car or, or, or that bigger house or, or, you know, more of this or more of that. In fact, they've done research that says that the average person, what they want is 10% more. Then they think they'll be happy. And because our world is, is one that, that is just full of these false promises that somehow our contentment will be in stuff, it, it, and because we're sinners, our human nature is to be in this constant place of dissatisfaction and fear that, that we're, we're not going to be okay. But if we lose our job, if, we, if something happens, that, that, that we'll all fall apart and, and the world will, will end around us. 
But what David proclaims in this is because God's our shepherd, because God is with us always, we shall not want. We lack for nothing. Because, because we know God, we know that God is our Father and He will provide. No matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens with our financial situation and the material things of this world, they can come and go, they can go up and down, but God never fails. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Because God is our shepherd, he's the one that guides us to good places. He's the one that guides us to rest. I, I love this image. Green pastures, a place where we're, we're fed, a place of calm, tranquility. It says, he leads me besides quiet waters. The, the traditional translation, the one I'm reading, sorry, that's the familiar one to me. Uh, it says, still waters. The Greek word, manuna, for still, uh, actually means restful waters. You know, sometimes I think that's important. So this, he doesn't lead us besides the roaring rapids that are dangerous, but he doesn't lead us to stagnant pools. I don't know about you, when I was growing up, I thought of still waters, it's like the, the pond that was full of scum in the, the backyard, right, that led to death. No, he, he leads us to gently flowing waters that, that refresh and revive and are full of life. Restoring, restful waters. What a beautiful image. He restores our soul. Do you know what your soul is? Your soul is the deepest part of you. Your soul is the thing that integrates every other part, your mind, your body, your intuition, right? Your emotional self, your physical self. Your soul is the thing that connects all of that and connects you to God. And it's a gift, your soul. And your soul is eternal. But your soul can also get worn out. It can get bombarded by the, the unhealth of this world. One of my favorite questions, it was a question taught to me by a guy named John Kohler. I don't know if anybody here remembers John Kohler. Years ago, he was a youth director at Hope North when I started working here. And he worked in youth ministry for many, many years. Really cool guy, loved Jesus with all of his heart. Died early in his life of pancreatic cancer. But died trusting in the Lord. And the, one of his favorite questions that he would ask me, and he, he said he would ask people when he'd go out with them, is how's your soul? I love asking that question because most of the time nobody's ever asked that. They'll ask, how are you? What's happening? But how would you answer that question if I asked you that? I'm asking you that now. How's your soul? How's the deepest part of you? Are you at peace? Are you restored? Are you refreshed? Are you filled with grace and love? Are you confident in God's promises? Or is your soul turbulent? Is it divided? Is it disconnected? Is it unhealthy? Is it grieving? Jesus is the one that leads us to quiet, refreshing places so that we can rest. He, he does this because he invites us to come to him in prayer 
to be still and know that he is God. One of the things I would encourage you is to read this psalm and in this time. If you're feeling really worn out by the world, to come to worship is a place of rest, but every day, I would say one of the best things for your soul is just to grab some time, a half an hour, an hour, the start of each day, to grab your Bible, maybe grab a journal, and just talk to God. Just sit in silence and let God lead you to those still waters in those green pastures so that he can refresh your soul. The psalm then reads, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. What does this mean? In right paths for his namesake. Well, when God restores our soul, then he gives us direction for the right living of our days. See, when your soul is unhealthy, when, it's, when, you're, when you're disconnected, when you're out of tune, these are soul words that would use, it results typically in bad choices, destructive decisions, toxic relationships. Anybody ever been there? Can you relate to anything I'm talking about? You don't have to raise your hand about that, but I think we all can if we've lived long enough. When our soul's unhealthy, that's the path that it leads us down and, and to be in this world. But when he restores our soul, God leads us in paths of righteousness. What does righteousness mean? It doesn't mean self-righteousness, like we're better than anybody else. But it means right living. Living that honors God and honors yourself and honors everybody else. Living in harmony, in peace with God and with creation and the world. And when we do this, it says it's for his namesake. It brings glory to God. One of the best ways we can witness to the world is if we're so in tune with God and it results in, in living in peaceful ways in this world, that will be a witness to our friends that don't know Jesus. That will be a witness to our family members that don't know Jesus. And they're going to ask eventually, like, what do you have? What's going on in your life that you have this peace even though the world is not peaceful? That you have the joy when, when the world is not joyful, when you have comfort, even though things are, are difficult, and you can say, well, because my soul rests in God alone, who is my shepherd, who will never, ever fail me. And then the, the psalm continues. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, how many of you think a rod and a staff are instruments of comfort? <laughs> Doesn't sound like that, does it? Uh, but for a shepherd, they had two tools, a rod and a staff. The staff was a shepherd's crook, and it was used to direct the sheep, keep them out of danger, rescue them from trouble. It, it, it was a tool not used to hurt the sheep or abuse the sheep, but direct them, guide them, keep them in those places. Their, their rod Basically, the shepherds would carry a big bat. And what this was for was not beating the sheep. A bad shepherd would beat the sheep. This was for protecting the sheep, right? Because there's enemies to the sheep. There's wolves out there. There's predators. Uh, there's people that want to come and steal sheep, steep shealers, sheep stealers, stealer sheeps. What, I don't know. I can't even say it tonight. <laughs> 
And the rod was there to protect. So, so God's the one that protects us and guides us. Protects us and guides us. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, the, the greatest enemies we have in this world, Jesus taught us, are sin, the devil, and death. And, and what Psalm 23, what David is saying is that, hey, no matter what the struggle is, no matter what the battle is, no matter what the enemy is, even if it's the devil himself that's on your back, God's rod and God's staff are protecting us. They're guiding us and comfort us because God is for us. Nothing can ever stand against us. In fact, Jesus said to Peter, his, his first disciples, lead disciple, he says, Peter, you are the rock and on you I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will be able to stand against you. Meaning that when we have Jesus, when we have the good shepherd on our side, we have one that has defeated sin and death. We have one that this world cannot stand against, that not even the devil in all of his might at his very own front door has any power over us. Do you know that now? Right? Does it feel like maybe the, the devil's on full court press in your life and there's no hope? I want to tell you there's hope. I want to tell you that the good shepherd has got your back. Now, there's a great illustration about this that, that is told by Billy Graham. And, and it's called a Checkmate. There's a painting in the Louvre. I think we can bring up that picture. In France, it's called Checkmate. And, and, and this is, is the, the guy on the one side with a feather in his cap. That's supposed to be a depiction of the devil. Okay? And, the, and here's this young man, and an angel's watching over, and they're playing chess. And, and you can see the devil's got this smug look like, yeah, Checkmate. That's the name of the painting. That's what the artist named it. But here's this young man, and he's just like, oh, God, man, I've got no more moves. I'm done. I'm desperate, hopeless, you know, devil's defeated. Just can you imagine this, this young man's angst? Like, like they're playing this game, and not a game on the line. His life is on the line. His soul is on the line. And so this painting for, for hundreds of years sat in the, the Louvre, right, called Checkmate. Well, it just so happened uh, that there was a, a tour uh, of a group there. And in this tour was a, a bunch of world champions, athletes, and others in the world. And, and one of the world champions wasn't really an athlete, but was a chess champion. World chess champion. And they're going through the Louvre on a private tour. And they're going through this painting. And of course, he gets to this painting, which is about checkmate, chess, and the world chess champion is staring at this painting. And he's just transfixed by it, and he's studying it. So much so that his tour moves on, and he's just transfixed by this painting, and he's studying it. And the tour guide notices that he's, he's not so. The tour guide goes back and looks over and says, well, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm looking at this painting. And he says, you know, I'm a, a world champion chess player. Like, this is my living. This is what I do, and I'm better than anyone else as I am a world champion chess player. And he says, yeah. And he says, well, what's the problem? He says, well, there's a big problem because either you're going to have to redo the painting or you're going to have to change the name of the painting. And they said, what do you mean? Well, he said, I've told you, I'm a world champion chess player. And I've been looking at this chess board 
And here's the thing. The king has one more move. It's not a checkmate. The king has one more move. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you just had to throw on the towel, that you were defeated, that there was no hope, that it was over, that, that, that just nothing was ever going to change the circumstances of the situation that you're in, whether it's an addiction, a, 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 a relationship that's toxic, a, a brokenness in your life. Here's the good news of the good shepherd. The king always has one more move that you are never beyond hope. Jesus Christ is victorious in your life. He, he is the good shepherd that stands at the gates of hell and his rod and our staff, his staff comfort us and defend us and he can restore and he can redeem because he's got one more move always over the devil. The king has one more move. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Psalm continues, says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What a powerful image. What does this mean? It means that God is so confident in the victory that he has for his life that he sets a table, a feast, a party right in front of your enemies, right in front of the devil, and he says, you know, devil, look at this. You have no claim over this child of mine's life. God parties in the face of evil and brokenness in this world and says, I am victorious. I'm going to set a feast, set a table in the presence of your enemies and anoint your head with oil and your cup will overflow. You'll never run out. I'm the good shepherd. And then the psalm ends by saying, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because God is victorious, our eternity is assured. See, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd has a name for us. The good shepherd's named Jesus. And when all hope seemed lost, the good shepherd had one more move. He climbed up onto a cross to die for you so that you might know that you're never alone, so that you might know that God is with you, so that you might know that victory and healing and restoration is possible in Jesus' name, not just someday, but today. And that you might know that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know about you, but that's good news. And one other cool thing about Psalm 23, and I'll leave you here, is when you read Psalm 23 in the Hebrew, there's one verse that's exactly in the middle of this poem. It's written in a, a very uh, powerful poetic style in the Hebrew. In the words that are right in the middle, there's 26 Hebrew words before it and 26 Hebrew words after it are the whole point of the psalm. For you are with me. The center of the psalm says this, for you are with me. Whatever you're going through today, 
however tired you are, no matter how beat up you are, however struggles you are, and I'm preaching to myself right now, I want you to know that God is with you. He's with you. He loves you. And he'll never let you go. Amen. Father, thank you today for your grace, mercy, and love in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are the good shepherd and we are your sheep. Lord, lead us beside those still waters. Restore our souls. Give us the grace that we need for the living of these days and the confidence to know that you are with us always. Even in our darkest hours, our valleys of the shadow of the death, you are with us and you're victorious. We love you, Lord, and we know you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.